This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I was trying to help him work on his resume. And, but it's like, it's so hard when you're like starting completely fresh. Like you have no data, anything yeah. except for portfolio projects. Yeah. You just got to find like that first person who can give you a leg in the door. Welcome to the data career podcast, the podcast that helps aspiring data professionals land their next data job. Here's your host, Avery Smith. Data nerds. What's up you guys, Avery Smith back with another episode of the data career podcast. And I'm really excited for this episode because I actually interviewed my childhood friend, Paul Alstrom, which was pretty fun because now he's in the data world. And Paul has a history degree. He does not have a technical background. And he was nice enough to sit down and kind of explain his journey into data analytics, um, coming from a non-technical background. And uh, he also talked about what the day in the life is for him. Like what tools is he using the most? What type of problems is he solving? So it's like a really applicable episode. If you're like, well, what would life be as a data analyst? I think you'll really enjoy this episode. Just a few things before we get into this episode. I want to let you guys know that I have some great job tips that are coming out that are not necessarily just for data, but for all of job hunting. It's like basically a method to reframe the way you look at job hunting and hopefully make it easier. You know, less applications, more interviews type of a thing. And we have some, some free content that talks about that. And I'll put the link towards that in the, in the show notes or the description down below. So check those out if you're in the job hunt right now. I think you'll find them useful. The other thing is we just released Avery GPT, which is basically like you take all of my knowledge whoosh, out of my brain and throw it in a chatbot, And that is totally free. I don't even know why we're doing it, but it's totally free. Or basically you can get free coaching from me by asking whatever questions you'd like. So go check it out. datacareerjumpstart.com slash Avery GPT, or we just have the link down below. Tell your friends about it. I think it's pretty cool. And it's totally free, most importantly. So, you know, why not take a look at it? I think those are the two main things right now. So we'll go ahead and get into the interview with Paul. Hey, well, <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you're here, Paul. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. So, Paul, for the listeners, we got to discuss how we know each other. I was trying to think, when did we first meet? When did you start at Waterford? Third grade. Third grade. So that, third that, grade. All right. So yeah. we've known each other since third grade. So since we were like, how old are you in third grade? Like 10 or something like that? Yeah. All right. And now we're obviously not 10. So we've known each other. We went to, I guess that would be elementary school, middle school, part of high school. I switched high schools after 10th grade. Mm-hmm. Did you graduate from Waterford? I moved to Mexico oh, after, that's for right. most of high school. That's right. And then came back to Sandy for the last year. So that's right. Yeah. So we didn't, we didn't re- reconnect until later. 
Yeah, we we actually are both members of the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and we both served our two-year missions in Sweden. So that's actually probably where we reconnected, which is crazy. Yeah, we were there like the same time. It was yeah. kind of fun. I was there from October of 2013 to August of 2015. And you yep, were there. I was six weeks after you. Oh, wow. So, so that's the crazy. Next, the next transfer. Okay. And was, was Brock Johnson? Yep. Okay. This is super funny. Yeah, um, I was companions with Brock. Were you? Yeah. Okay. I was too. And now so, he works in data too. Well, that's what I was going to say is <laughs> so, so anyway, so we're, we're, we're missionaries and you know, we're hanging out basically. And you basically have what's called a companion, which is like the person that you are doing everything with. It's like a little built-in best friend or buddy. And so Brock Johnson was one of mine for six weeks, I think. And he was one of yours for about the same. For six weeks as where, well. Where yeah. was it? That was in Eskilstuna. Oh, wait, I, my, I was I was companions with Brock. In Did Eskilstuna. I replace you? No, no, no. I don't think you replaced me, but he was there. He for was a there. Long time. Okay, he was just there for a bit. Yeah, yeah. So that's super funny. So yeah, Brock and then Brock studied. I think it's like mechanical manufacturing engineering, mm-hmm. and he worked at like a manufacturing company for a while, and then he tried doing some like window sales stuff and some other stuff and then he moved to england and he reached out to me like i don't know a while ago and he was like i want to get into data and so he actually joined my boot camp i don't know if you knew that that's cool i think he told me that yeah, yeah. so he was he wasn't the member of the data analytics accelerator and was trying to land a job in england with no prior experience as a data analyst so that one was tricky yeah i was i was help i was trying to help him work on his resume and but it's like it's so hard when you're like starting completely fresh like you have no data anything yeah. except for portfolio projects yeah so you just got to find like that first person who can give you a leg in the door okay and that's exactly great segue that's exactly what i wanted to talk to you about because you're now a senior data analyst at angel studios mm-hmm. which for those who don't know angel studios makes a lot of cool uh movies and television probably the most famous is the chosen what else do you guys make? You guys make cool stuff. Yeah, Angel Studios has changed its model a couple times throughout the years. It started as VidAngel, which was you can filter movies and videos. Yep. And then its recent, its most current version of its business model is it does theatrical distribution for, well, distribution for movies and TV shows. So you can have an idea. They'll help you crowdfund your idea. They'll help you film, film it, distribute it. And do all the marketing and get it on, get in theaters, get it on platforms like Netflix. Oh wow! So, so that's what it, that's what you guys focus on now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. very cool. Okay, but if I look back on your resume, you know, eventually there was a point where you, you were financial analyst at Hammerton, you were data analytics engineer at Health Catalyst, but before that, there's not a data analytics position. Yeah. So how did you get your foot in the door? Yeah. So about a year and a half ago, I was a product manager. And before that I had managed a small video team and I had this feeling that I wanted to have a more technical skill set because I was, as a product manager, I was basically making to-do lists all day for developers. So making product decisions, which was fun. And it was really interesting because that was the intersection of the user experience for a product and the, the development for, for that product to make the websites better. But I had this feeling like I really want to do something more technical and I want to do something that kind of feeds into my interests. And I would, I've always been interested in, in data stuff, but never had the vocabulary, the vocabulary. I never had the vocabulary or the skill set to, to act on that. So that's that's where it started. Okay. And so you don't have the vocabulary, you don't have the skill set. 
you don't have the degree, right? Right. Because you studied, I looked at this here, history? Yeah. Okay. So you're studying history, which is like a non-STEM, non-technical background. You're working as a product manager, which is like, I wouldn't say it's a technical role, but it's like you're getting closer than maybe history is a technical yep. a technical thing. No, I didn't I didn't get my history degree until after the the health catalyst job, actually. Oh, okay. So yeah, <laughs> you don't even have a college degree at this no, point. Right. So it's like, okay, why should anyone take it like why should anyone hire Paul as a data analyst? Or how how did you convince someone of that? Because that's that's something that's hard to do. Yeah, no, that it is hard. So let's go back a couple hundred years. How did people used to get into jobs and careers? There used to be apprenticeships. Uh You would say, I want to do this thing. You would get an apprenticeship in that field. You would learn the tools and the skills of the trade. And then you would become a master carpenter or whatever after a couple years of on the job experience. And that used to be the educational paradigm. Then we shifted to like universities where you come out with a degree, but with Technology moving so fast, a degree doesn't tell you a whole lot about a person's skill set. So I can come in with a no degree or a history degree, and people will still hire me for a data job. Why? Because they care about the specific individual unique skills um, that you've acquired and have um, gotten good at. It's the skills that matter. It's the skills that matter. But they have to be people have to be able to trust that you you have the skills, and and that's hard right now. There's a big burden on people that are hiring for analysts because they have to check every single person to see if they have the skills. And I think that's a whole, that's a gap in the, the job hiring marketplace right now. There's no, there's no good way for me to know, to know uh, Avery is actually really good at SQL and he's really good at Python to like the 90th percentile or whatever. Yeah. I'd, I'd almost, I agree with you and I'd almost fight back with you on it a little bit because it's like, well, there's leak code. It's like, sure. There's, there's like all these, like whenever I was interviewing for jobs, for data scientist jobs, they'd send me these SQL assessments or these Python assessments. And so I'd, I'd almost argue with you, well, no, there are things that test you, but I hate those. Yeah. I hate those because you can't use Google. Now, yeah. now I, I use ChatGPT whenever I'm coding anything. You can't use those. And you have to do it in every single job interview, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it's like, you get like, like you have like a time limit and it's like super high pressure. Right. It's like, how do I do this thing in SQL that I like haven't done in like six months mm-hmm. and remember without Googling it in like two minutes or less. Yeah. So I think, I think skills in general are going to become more atomized and then you're going to be able to get like a mini degree in a specific thing and, and, oh. and prove, demonstrate mastery in that one little specific thing, these, those micro skills. I think it's going to be a little bit like a tech tree, like in video games where you like, you put like all oh. your XP into, into like your, your spell casting or whatever. Uh-huh. I don't play video games that often, but that's the analogy I, I, I think <laughs> I like of it, it as where you, so like I have, if I've, I've put all my XP into SQL for data, for data analytics, right? Uh-huh. Like, and I can, I'm like a level four SQL analyst. I think, I think that that's the direction like credentials and degrees are going to head. I, so yeah, I agree that there's, there's definitely something has to change in the future right now. You have like these crappy skill assessments, which are hard to do. Yeah. And also just like not realistic because it's like in real life, you get to use Google in real life. You get to use chat GPT right. in real life. Like half the time, the, I don't know, I was always doing data science ones. And so they were often Python mm-hmm. and it was like calculate like the distance between this point and this point using sign. Like it was like, 
always like, this is not realistic at all to what I'd be doing on the job. Yeah. So I think those assessments kind of stink. So regardless of where we're, where we're at with these not so good assessments, you still had, you, you mentioned that you not only have to have the skills, but you have to prove to someone else, they have to be able to trust you that you have the skills. Right. Cause anyone can say that they know SQL, Excel, Tableau, Power yeah. BI on their resume. So how did you get someone to trust you? Yeah. So I got an internship or an apprenticeship at a company called a health catalyst. And the interview was basically, do you understand the the concepts of data and SQL and like how to do joins, that kind of stuff. And once they could tell that I was kind of like smart enough to start the internship, they, they brought me on. It's their pipeline for, for new analysts or analytics engineers or mm. analysts. So here's a company who's going back to the apprentice model in some, in some regards. And they're saying, well, you're smart enough. We will teach you everything you need to know to do this job. Yeah. And I, first off, I think that's such a cool way to like actually break into the field. I don't think there's many companies doing it. I think health catalyst is one. Another one I really like, we're going to talk about more about education in this podcast, but another one I really like is called the data school. Have you heard of it? No, it's in, it's only in, they have it like in New York, London, Germany, like, but the only one in the U S is in New York city. It's really cool. We had one of the co-founders on an episode, like 73, I think, I think right around there. Mm -hmm. So definitely, definitely worth looking. We'll have a link in the description down below to hear that. But the data school is not actually a school. It's an apprenticeship program where they take people who want to transfer into data you, the interview process is pretty, pretty lengthy and they, they go through actually like you have to make a custom project for them and present it. And they hire about like eight people a quarter or something like that. And it ends up being like $65,000 a year. Mm. And you are now a data consultant and they're a consulting company and they're like working with a bunch of clients and customers and you get to be, you know, you get, you basically get, I think it's like an 18 month program. The first like six months you're learning the next six months you're like practicing the last six months you're kind of like leading some of the newer people. And it's like, that's how that's an apprenticeship program. But I, I don't like think there's, there's many of those, No, but I think they're cool. I think that's super cool. I think what you're doing is really awesome too. Like just it's, it's the new way to get educated is like you, you, you start like a specific program about something that is going to prove that it has value and you're going to end up with at least projects and demonstrable experience. But yeah, I think that's the way education definitely needs to head. Which is what I was going to say. It's like, if you can't find one of these apprenticeships, yeah. doing projects is probably the next closest thing where yep. it's like, you're giving your, you're hiring yourself to solve a problem that you want to solve. Like that you've an interesting thing or something. You can always pretend that you work for a certain company or, or something like that. But I want to ask you like, how did you with health catalyst, Cause that's like a, a great place to, to find this apprenticeship program. Mm -hmm. How'd you even know it existed? Cause, cause I've, I actually applied to health catalyst when I was in college Really, and I got rejected health catalyst. If you're listening, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> you missed out. You did miss out, <laughs> but I probably would have quit and left you anyways for bigger and better things, I guess. But my point is like, I didn't even know that program existed. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I didn't even know that. How do you know that program existed? Did yeah, you it was, know someone? Or? It, it was, yeah, it was an introduction. So I went to a friend's house and his uncle founded Health Catalyst. And he was like, oh, we have a really cool pro program. <laughs> and I was like, that sounds great. I don't even know what it is. So you, you basically, your networking wasn't even really, your networking led to this, you know, 
interview process. We still had to ace the interview. You still had to do well. Yeah. But you would never would have even had the interview had you not you know, randomly known this person. And the cool thing is, this, it's not like you were trying to network, really, right? Like yeah. it's just like a friend and you were just like around the friend's family or something like that. Yeah, the, the important starting point for me was knowing what I wanted to look for, even if I didn't have like a total, like a name for it. So I, I knew I, I really like being able to help people solve problems. I love looking, to, I love being able to solve process problems and look for improvements. And I like using data. I don't have the technical skills and I want more technical skills to do that sort of thing. So I started from understanding my interests and what I was good at and then uh, felt it out from there. Yeah. I, that's so key because when I was just trying to be a lab technician back in the day, I was, I was just in college. I was excited to, you know, be doing, having a big boy job and stuff. And I was cold messaging everyone trying to get a lab technician job and no one would take a chance on me because I didn't have any experience. Yeah. I ended up getting an opportunity that paid absolutely terribly. And I worked there for three months and I got some experience, but it wasn't until I went to church and this isn't like, I went to my, basically my parents' church. I went back home for Christmas, went to my parents' church and I ran into one of my old church leaders and he's like, oh, what are you doing nowadays? And I was like, oh, well, I'm a lab technician. And he's like, oh, well, did you know that I work at a lab? <laughs> no. What lab do you work at? Oh, it's actually, you know, really close to uh, where you live. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, oh, that's funny. would you want to interview there? Yeah. Okay, sure. And then it was actually at that job where I ended up learning to become a data analyst and then data scientist. And like, I owe everything to that random conversation at church. But I think sometimes people get really nervous about networking because it's like, oh, I have to like go to networking events or I have to post a lot on LinkedIn, which I think are both two great things to do. Mm -hmm. But in your case, it was like, no, you hang out with a friend and talk about your dreams and your job and your career and stuff like that. Yeah. I just told him like, I, I'm looking for a job change. He's just like, he was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I want to like learn data stuff and I want to do process improvements. He's like, well, I have the internship for you. <laughs> it's <laughs> not going like, to happen like that for everyone. It's um, not. But, but my... I have, a fam I have a close family member who owns a recruiting company uh -huh. and their stats are if you, if you go the cold application route for most things, even if you have experience in that industry, it's going to take you 200 job applications or so before you get the job offer. I have a friend who has a couple years of experience who just did 600 and got two job, job offers. So 300 to one. Yeah. And also in data. Yeah. And I think the the statistics on networking it's it's a lot lower it's like 30 yeah or or even less because you you can bypass their applicant tracking systems yeah and you can you come in as a known entity this is a this is a good person who i trust yeah. and then all you have to do from there is demonstrate your skill set yeah which which is like it seems so simple but it's so impactful i i love that data set i have a data set that is not nearly as probably as legitimate. It's a LinkedIn survey. Mm. But one time my friend did a LinkedIn survey and they asked, how did you, or how do you approach the job hunt? Yeah. And I think around 66% of people said they find jobs online and they apply. And then the next day he asked, how did you get your last job? And only 33% had done it through cold applying. And the remaining 66 were through getting recruited and referred. Yeah. And so I kind of call it the, the job hunt Pareto principle. Basically, you're going to spend 80% of your time applying for jobs. The only, only, those only lead to 20% of actual hiring, 
when you really should be spending 80% of your time networking because that's going to lead to 80% of the actual job hires. So I just think that's really key that like you had this goal to like get there and you're like, how do I get there? And the answer was you got to network basically. Yeah. And then show off your skills because you couldn't just be like a nobody, like a bum. Like you had to know at least some SQL and stuff right? like that. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. And, and that was an analytics engineer job. Is that right? Yeah. Analytics engineer. So they, they taught me everything I needed to know in terms of both SQL and their internal tools. Okay. And can you speak a little bit to what an analytics engineer does versus like a, like a data analyst type of a thing? Sure. Yeah. This industry is, is slowly developing its naming convention. So like, <laughs> what is a data engineer versus yeah. a data analyst versus an analytics engineer? Analytics engineers handle the transformation step mainly. So they will, they have, they start with the source data and then use tools like DBT or in health catalyst case, they have an internal tool for that to do all the transformation steps to create data warehouses, data marts for businesses for specific use cases. The analytics engineers at Health Catalyst are also analysts. So they're, they're building out Power BI dashboards and doing a bunch of SQL transformations to yeah. create the useful tables. So it's, it's somewhere between a, a data engineer and, a, and an analyst. Yeah, it's almost like it bridges the gap between a data engineer and the data analyst. And sometimes they do a data engineer's job. And sometimes, like you said, they do a data analyst. Yeah. It, all the naming conventions are pretty fuzzy. And I, I think the more important thing is like, what are you actually doing with your, with your time? Yeah. You know? A hundred percent. So you did that and then you were a financial analyst and now you're a senior data analyst. Do those roles, do they have like a lot of overlap? Like what's, what's something that you've done at all three of those roles and what's something maybe you only did at one? I've done a lot of SQL at all three of those roles. And I've done a lot of data visualization on Power BI or the first two and uh, Metabase at the third. Hmm. So digging through the databases, making sure the data is clean, that you, you you know check all your assumptions, do all your filtering, pass it into a BI tool. And that's, you know, that's what I've done in all three jobs. Okay. Let's dive in a little bit deeper to what you're currently doing. But, but you work at Angel Studios, Senior Data Analyst. This, this company is basically in the you explained it kind of in like the, we'll call it the show, television, movie, get stuff into production business. And marketing and distribution. Marketing distribution. Do they have their own platform? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can go to angel.com and, and watch some, some of our so, shows. So it's kind of like Netflix or Hulu, but a little bit smaller, obviously. Mm-hmm. So what, when you've been there, what are some, some of the problems you've been tackling? Most of my time is spent doing ad hoc requests. Really? So... People need an email list for something very specific. So like users who watch this TV show did this behavior on our app and, and have watched this other thing more than once. Like I get a lot of user, user behavior kind of data requests. That's super interesting. So someone will be like, for whatever purpose, they want to segment part of their email list. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I was thinking, well, why, why can't you just do that in like whatever email tool you're using? Like, I do that with the email tools. I send out like, okay, this person clicked on this, this person clicked on that. Sure. But my email software doesn't have any data about like what they watched right. in your guys' platform. So that's why you have to go to like a lower data level to, to solve that problem. Right. Unless you have like a complex, this business, business has been through a lot of changes. So they don't have like established like processes for every single thing. So like, let's tag this user as a, as a watch, uh-huh. like someone who's watched this show. So it, 
Instead, they have a flexible data warehouse and then they have an analyst like me who can pull out answers to those types of questions. And then eventually, once once those processes are more established, they won't need me anymore. And I can, I can, you know, I'll, I'll be focused on other parts of the business. They'll um, just fire you and use ChatGPT. No, they'll they'll be using me to answer more more pertinent questions. Okay, okay. So you're doing like a lot of ad hoc stuff, and is that kind of like in SQL-ish types type languages? Yep, I spend ninety percent of my day in SQL. Wow, really? Yep, just doing a bunch of queries. Okay, so so like that's that's like a business use case of they need an email list. What's like another business use case that you could share with us? Doing reporting for for making business decisions. So right now we're working on distributing a new, a new film and they need to know where are we going to put billboards? Where are we going to pay for traditional media that's uh-huh. not connected to social media? And so I'm working on some more advanced analytics to pull out information about showtimes, information about people who have purchased tickets in those areas and oh. combine that into a useful report for making multi-million dollar decisions. <laughs> wow. Which is a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure. That's, how do you feel it's about like, that? It's like, I got to make sure I use the right wear filters. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Stuff. If you make a... Yeah, you have something wrong in that query, that could be... Yeah. It's like, yeah, we should have billboards in South Dakota. Yeah. Yeah, and then it just turns out to be like some like random data problem that you didn't check. So there's a lot of things you need. You need to be careful. Okay. As a, as a habit. Just what you just mentioned, where to put billboards, traditional media. I'm assuming that's like, like things like the Today Show or, or you know, like guests on like Jimmy Fallon or something like that, right? That's yeah. that to make those types of decisions, to make data driven decisions with with that, you'd have to have data surrounding that. So are you guys using? I'm assuming you guys don't have all of that in house. So you you have to be using some external data as well. Yeah, a couple of external data sources, but it's mostly like, so like with with. With, with digital advertising, you can say, hey, Facebook, here are all the users um, that have clicked on this button. And then Facebook will go and figure out, like using their, their in-house AI stuff, exactly who else they should target. So that yeah. looks like those other people. Mm-hmm. When you're making decisions outside of those ad platforms, you have to kind of DIY it. So you're pulling data from various sources. You're, you're combining it in new and unique ways. And you're, you're starting with your own intuition about how you're going to solve that problem. Okay. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, we, we really don't realize how much data is necessarily being stored on us. So like for, for example, if you're scrolling through Netflix, that scroll is probably being stored one way or another. Yeah. You pause on a thumbnail that's being, that's being stored and that data is available to make data driven decisions. So you open up an app. The time that you open up the app, that's stored. It's all so yeah. You know, every every event you every user interaction event is is being sent um, to a database where an analyst like me can poke around and try and figure out what you did and why and, and when. Where where Paul's stalking you, basically. Yeah, basically. <laughs> which which like people, I feel like most people are like, oh, that's scary, Big Brother. I don't like that. But as a data analyst, I've always loved it. I think that's so fascinating. Yeah, it is cool. Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of what you're working on. 90% of your day in SQL. Yeah, basically. Okay. How, so if, if you're not in, let's say, let's say you're not crunching numbers at your job, what are you doing? Yeah. So I'm, I'm in meetings with stakeholders around the business talking about how we're going to structure our data warehouse, how we're going to use our different tools to collect and store and transform data. So I'm, I'm having a I'm playing a pretty big part in helping make decisions about 
are like what where are we going to store all the stuff and how are, what format are we going to store it in and and then what tools are we going to use to transform it and, and how is it going to be served in the end to end users that makes sense so, so you're you're talking to your team about like how are we even going to do this whole data thing because you guys like you said are kind of a young company and you've had a lot of you, you've switched the company has switched what they've done a lot in the past and ownerships and stuff like that. So, yeah. So talking about data governance initiatives. So how, like where, where can I find these tables and who owns these tables? What's the best way for us to work together as a team from both the data producer and consumer side to make sure we're all, you know, know, rowing together as a company and making data informed decisions. We're talking about like the analytics engineering side of it. So, like how how can we transform this raw data into something super useful for downstream downstream consumption? Um, talking about data modeling and how we're going to put everything in the warehouse so that it can be the most useful. Wow, and that kind of stuff. Okay, and I want to go back one step and just hear what you have to say about your reporting. So you get these ad hoc requests. Mm-hmm. You're crunching the numbers in SQL. How how do you tell them the results in SQL. Like, are you, are you just, is this just all via email? Are you, are you meeting? Are you making a PowerPoint? Are you just screenshotting your SQL output and texting it to them? <laughs> Sometimes I will send screenshots. <laughs> That's, well, I'm, like I'm a firm believer that you never optimize early. Uh-huh. So if someone just needs an, a list, I send them a CSV file okay. and I tell them, I send them like the query and explain what it does. Okay. So you're exporting to a CSV from SQL sure, or from whatever platform. Yeah. If it's an engineer that needs a query or something, then I'll just send them the query and they mm-hmm. can run it themselves. If it's someone who needs a dashboard, I'll, I'll build a dashboard, send them the link to it and then tell them how I, how I made it. And if they need more explanation, we can have a conversation, a phone call or something. Okay, so you're either you're either sending like messages on like an internal chatting platform, or you're. I'm assuming that's what we might do with the queries. Even maybe maybe yeah, it's not. a lot of back and forth on Slack. Okay, there yeah. you go. Okay, uh, or you're just sending them a link to a dashboard. Yep. Okay, I like that a lot. Yeah, but the the most important pro- part of the whole process is the re- requirements gathering step. So you don't, you don't necessarily need to have a lot of meetings after you report, but you do need to have a lot at the beginning to make sure you understand the requirements. Because if you, if you don't ask the right questions about what they're really asking you for, then you're going to spend the next eight hours building the wrong thing because you didn't check your assumptions on, on what they, what they really needed. Yeah. And I guess if you're not clear at the beginning too, you could also, be making, giving them the complete wrong email list. Right. It could be like, Hey, I need, this is from, this is too dumb of an example, but if they're like, Hey, I need all the people who watched Barbie, but you send them the people who watched Oppenheimer, that's probably not the right list. Yeah. Or like, like, like for example, like if, if who they consider to be someone that, that watched something, oh. cause you might just take, okay, I'll take anyone that watched this thing. No problem. Send it to them. And then you find out, Oh no, like we consider a viewer, someone that watched something for more than 30 seconds. So there's, there's, there's business definitions that you can't just assume implicitly or else you're going to get it wrong and you might, you know, make a mistake. Yeah. That's a, that's a tough meeting to have. Yeah. And so it's, it's better to be careful, ask a couple follow-up questions like what are you using? And the, the best question you can ask is what do you need it for? And, or can you give me the background and the context on this, on this thing? What are you trying to do? Because often they, they might be asking you for one thing. Um, but they need another and you're the only one that knows that because you're the one digging around in the data all day. 
So if they need to know, you know, viewership statistics and you have another data source that would be better for that, it's your job to be like, okay, so you're at, are you asking it for it for this reason or for this reason? Because if it's for this reason, then let's look at, at this data. So that's one of your responsibilities in your data analyst role is to actually figure out what they actually want. Yeah, it's your job to properly you you are a free agent. You're not just like a SQL monkey. You are your job is to interpret the request and then decide on the best path forward to get to the right answer. I wonder if that's something you've kind of developed as you've gone though because it seems like when you're first getting started that might be a big step. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, you got to when you're first getting started, your first question is, where do I find that? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what table does that live in? Yeah. And then your next question is like, which columns should I use exactly? Yeah. And then you're, and then, but the, the, the really good thing I learned from health catalyst is that great analytics are developed iteratively. Mm. So if you just say, okay, I did a, a query. Here's a report you don't get to like the real answer that they were looking for. So I spent all my time at health catalyst working on one dashboard for a team. And it was like this, like they said, we need this put in the power BI dashboard. I would go and figure out how to do that, deliver the metric. And they said, okay, it looks good, but let's make it like this. Instead, I would go through another round of iteration after like 150 of those little cycles, you, you end up with a really amazing dashboard. They were like, wow, it looks like, like a professional with experience did this. And this is one of the best examples of analytics I've seen at health catalyst, which is high praise for a analytics company. They do analytics consulting. So they have like a hundred, 200, and it wasn't because I'm, I'm like smart or anything. It was because we did a ton of iterative cycles for one specific set of questions. They wanted to know how can we allocate engineers to our customers and who's allocated fully, who's under allocated, who's over allocated, who's working too many hours, who's not working enough hours. And as we iteratively through a lot, a lot of messages over and over again, refining, refining things and combining things together, you started to get more and more useful insights. I love that. And for our, our wonderful video audience that is watching, we're in a new studio, by the way, if you couldn't tell, we're in person as well. <laughs> we're saying that like 40 minutes in, but hopefully you guys uh, can see it. So if you're watching on YouTube or on Spotify, what Paul just did was like move his hands like this, like a hundred times in a row. And I love that because I think I love what you said that good data analysts are iterative and good data analytics is iterative. You just, you keep, you, you do something, you, talk to your shareholder, goes back to you, you go back to your shareholder and you just kind of keep doing that until, you know, you've done it so much that it's like, oh wow, that we actually made something pretty great. hundred percent. That's how it, like a junior person like me, like my first data job made actually made something that was like super useful for a senior VP. And they were like, they were crazy excited about it. And it wasn't because I was smart or because I was like good at Power BI or SQL because I sucked at both at the beginning. But we did a ton of iteration on it and they were willing to spend the time with me to make those dashboards great and get to the answers and check the data with me. And being able to do that if you have the time and bandwidth is is very powerful. Which is which really goes along of today's theme of the, the podcast, which is, guess what? It's not really your skills that get you hired. Mm-hmm. Usually it's your network that gets you hired. Yeah. And guess what? It's not your skills that impress the senior vice president. It's really your communication 
and like your, your ability to present and communicate with them effectively. Yeah. Really I, I think I, I definitely almost over communicated in that <laughs> role. Cause I was, it was, just, it was just me and him. I didn't, I wasn't working on a team or anything. So I was just like all day, like, Hey, is this right? Is this right? And he was patient enough with me to be like, looks good. Let's fix this. I think another thing that's super important is to have a bias for, for action instead of sitting on a problem and not knowing the right answer. So if you can deliver a kind of bad version of something quickly and then iterate a couple of times, that's better than taking like six weeks to come to a, an okay answer. A hundred percent. Because most of the time, most of the time I've seen this on both sides of the aisle now where I, I used to be, you know, the person that was reporting to stakeholder. Right. But now as I'm transitioned and I try to do more CEO things, I've had people, you know, that report to me and I've seen it from both sides. And I've realized that neither side actually knows what they want or what they're doing until like three iterations in. Right. Cause it's like, it's actually one of the things you mentioned earlier was you ask the key stakeholder, well, what do you, what do you want this for? What are you trying to do? And asking that question is so important because that key stakeholder isn't even a hundred percent sure. They're like, Oh, you're right. What do I want this for? Oh, it's for this. Well, is it actually for this or is it for that? And you're actually helping that person, you know, create their, their vision of the tool. And so sometimes this, the, these busy managers, they can't actually envision what they want until you've given them something. And they're like, Oh, this is great. It's exactly what I want. Or no, you're totally off. It's not what I want at all. Yeah. And if, if you, if you just go off of what they ask for, you're going to get fired soon because (laughs) I like that (laughs) because you, you need to, you need to, you can't play the game of guessing what's in their head. You just have to like, like drill down and figure out what's actually going to make you useful and make your data useful. Because if, if they ask for this thing and you give it to them and then it's like not that helpful, what if you instead ask them a couple of times, well, why do you need that? Oh, I need it for this. Okay. Well, what if we did this instead or combine this data? Oh yeah. I didn't even realize that was possible. That would be so helpful. If you can, if you can go through those iteration cycles and then always be like questioning, like, okay, well, why do you really need that? And wouldn't this be a better way to do it? And you'll run into a deeper understanding of the business logic behind like what you're trying to accomplish and get to something more useful faster. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. A really interesting, cool concept. We just interviewed Nick Debra, who's a data visualization expert. And one of the, the things that he coined is spray and pray data visualization. Mm. And basically when you're working with a business, a share, or I can never say that right. Shareholder, stakeholder? Stakeholders. Stakeholder. Yeah, yeah. Probably shareholders too. They probably own a little bit of shares. Stakeholders. <laughs> and they ask you to create a visualization and you're not, you're like, what? What am I supposed to do? And they're like, I'm busy. Go do it. You know, his approach is to like, all right, here's four visualizations. Which one you like? Mm. Choose, choose one of these four. Which one resonates with you? And it almost seem, seems like you're suggesting something similar where it's like when they ask you to do something, you're like, here are four interesting questions that we can kind of take this analysis. Which question you know, is the most useful to you? Or like which one are you drawn to? Spray and pray. It sounds like 
evolution. Like evolution creates like 10 different versions of something and then one or two survive. Exactly. Because most dashboards don't survive. No. <laughs> most, yeah. most dashboards I've created are like, or oftentimes you'll create something and then it'll get used once or not at all. And, you know, so if, and that's a signal to you as an analyst that you didn't really create something that they needed. Hmm. Interesting. I, I like that. I could see that. Could it also be that you didn't, they don't know how to use it or like they don't know where it is or it's not accessible. Also could be the case. I, I saw an interesting thread the other day on like on a, a CEO wanted a dashboard like sent to his email. And this person was like criticizing the CEO, like, Oh, like you're wasting engineering time. But that, that comes from a misunderstanding of the context of your user, which is the CEO in this case where he, he doesn't have time to log into some platform and, like and use his credentials to to see the dashboard he just needs the numbers or the answer like where he is right now and so understanding the context of your user is also an important part of being super useful because if you make a dashboard and they don't use it then you might as well have not made the dashboard i want to talk about something that you just mentioned which was yeah this is this is how you could get fired quickly Um, (laughs) i think one thing that you are qualified to speak on is how do you get how do you get promoted quickly and I'll, that might be a hard question, mm. but one of the things that I think that the, one of the reasons why I think you would get promoted or you will, or you have gotten promoted is what you just mentioned, the action, the bias to action. Yeah. To be promoted in a company, your interests have to be aligned with what the business is trying to do. So the business is trying to make money. The business is trying to become more efficient and you have to do the work to ask the deeper questions and understand what time you're spending as an analyst that is spent helping the business improve and may not be useful. And my, my job at Hammerton was a great example. I was working for the CEO of Hammerton reporting to him directly. And, um, I got bombarded with the most useful questions to the business all day, every day, because he was coming to me and saying, this is the most important thing. I need these numbers to make this decision. Can you get that to me? And sometimes on it as a, as an analyst, you might be disconnected from, from the decisions that are being made with your data and the decision makers. So the closer you can get to understanding what the context is of the business owner or the, the business case for your data, the more useful your data will be. Uh, and the, most, the more useful you'll be as an analyst. You got you to gotta know the business. Yeah. Businesses care about whatever they care about. Usually dollar bills. A lot of times it could be people reached. It could be lives saved, but whatever it is, you got to figure it out and you got to figure out how does data equal more dollar bills or more life saves. Yeah. They don't, they don't care if you're using like some new Python library. They don't care if you're using CTEs or subqueries. Those are all things you care about. Those are your tools. The real important thing is, are you delivering useful information to help facilitate business decisions? Because, like, like you mentioned earlier, you're making decisions for a multi-million dollar marketing campaign. If you do good with those decisions, you make them multi-million dollars. Right. And like for that, for that request, actually. So we had a data change between theatrical releases. So our, la- our last movie, we, we changed some systems to start relying on a new data stream. And if I hadn't checked my assumptions first before starting that request, I would have missed out on a lot of important data coming from a new source. So really questioning and never really trusting like, oh, some guy wrote this query 
that's the one I'll use is, is how you can be most useful, I guess. It's, it's easier said than done, but I think you do a good job at that, Paul. I've always, one thing I've always known about Paul, is he asks good questions. Actually, these are two things I know about Paul. He, he might do it too much to a fault. I don't even know. You ask a lot of questions and you got an action to bias. Or gosh, you got bias to action. Mm. Maybe you got action to bias too. Right? Maybe you're a biased guy. I'm so biased about action. <laughs> I hope you're not biased. But like, those are two things I think that you've always done well, Paul. And I think that's led to you know, a lot of success for you transferring your career into data and, and doing well in that career. I think those two things have probably taken you a long way. Thanks. One last thing I want to bring, bring up. I think a useful framework for understanding how to ask better question, question uh, on how to ask better questions is the Toyota five wise methodology. Okay. I don't know it. Teach me. So it's, it's a lesson from manufacturing that you can use with your job. So one question might be in the context of, of the Toyota manufacturing, they would say this part broke and they did, they'd ask, why did that part break? Oh, it's because this machine bent it the wrong way. Why did that machine bend it the wrong way? Well, it's because this guy didn't do the maintenance on that machine. Why didn't he do the maintenance on that machine? Well, it's because he was overscheduled and there weren't enough people on that team. Why, were, why was he overscheduled? Why were there not enough people? Mm. And you get to the, the, the core problem, three or four or five steps removed from the, the surface problem or the, the proximate cause, which is that, you know, some, something completely almost unrelated. And so I think if you're, if you're taking that kind of approach as well in, in your job, you can get to the right answer a lot faster. So like for, for example, we're talking a lot about uh, data modeling in my company right now. So it's like, why is it so hard to answer a question about how much revenue we have for this very specific thing? Well, it's because of this. Well, why is it? Why, why is that the case? Well, it's because of this. Well, why is that the case? Why is that? And then you, you, you come five steps down until you get to a root cause. Um, and then if you focus on solving that thing, instead of the surface problem, you will be a lot more useful to the business, um, and solve a lot more problems, make more buco bucks and make more buku bucks. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. The, the, what was the five Y from Toyota? Toyota five Y's. Yeah. All right, there you go. Well, Paul, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thanks. Um, Good to be here. I, I appreciate all, all of your thoughts. If people want to, you know, learn more about you or reach out to you, where should they go? Yeah, I guess you can link, reach out to me on LinkedIn, Paul Alex Alstrom. You guys should check him out. At least, at least give him a follow on LinkedIn. He's got some, he got some good sequel videos coming out that I saw the other day and stuff like that. Oh yeah, I couldn't sleep on Saturday, so I made some sequel training videos. If you want okay, to, sweet. To, to, to take a look at those, I'm, yeah. I'm planning on going through all the practice problems on that site. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. Hey, I hope you guys enjoyed that episode. Thank you again to Paul for giving us all that great insight on how he transitioned from a non-technical background to a data analyst role and what he does in the day of a life as a data analyst. We appreciate it so much, Paul. Once again, just a quick plug. I want you guys to check out some of the resources down below in the show notes, specifically Avery GPT. You guys got to check this out. It's super cool. It's free for right now. Maybe I'll start charging in the future. I'm not sure, but go use it right now while it's free. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Go listen to another episode. Why not, right? Have a good one. Bye.